Hello and welcome. In this episode, I'm the creepy photographer assisting my co-host John Deere's depressed and disillusioned writer on the hunt for possible murder and an entire lake's worth of existential ennui in Bazzoni and Franco's 1965 film The Possessed, also known as La Donna del Lago. We'll also discuss what relates this most enigmatic and melancholy of giallos to Predator 2. I'm Dave Thomas and this is episode 3 of Due Signori in Giallo. The whole town said Tilda committed suicide, but the whole town knew she was murdered. Who spied on her at night and saw her making love to a stranger? Was he the man who killed her? Who killed Tilda? Who? What did anyone know about Tilda? This week... In the course of our discussion, John and I touch on issues of gendered violence, unwanted pregnancy and suicide. So the possessed or the lady in the lake, that's what it was known as in Italy. Uh, Yes, La Donna del Lago. But presumably, again, uh, audiences for the international distribution wanted something a bit more what titillating i don't know it's possessed titillate it's is it is it a bit uh, stephen moffat calls them slutty titles i have a, I have a bit of a problem with like, things like dinosaur on a spaceship um right. things like that as well because it, as it's some, it's something that grabs you and it was often said that you know when in 80s doctor who when they would change titles to something quite um uh obscure that it would it would lessen the uh, the impact of a casual viewer if you picked up the radio times and saw creature from the pit you'd go oh if you picked up uh, the radio times and saw megloss you know hell's that um so i wondered so if if the possessed was trying to do something with a bit more creepy devil worshipy appeal maybe um I, mean, I believe the possessed was what the name that was applied to it by the uk distributor because uh, okay. this one, this one was fairly obscure. It never got much of a release um, because it, when it premiered in uh, Italy, uh, it it got sort of fairly savaged by critics. Um, so I don't know that it actually had much of a release anywhere else. So possibly the possessed is, as you say, something that sounds a bit more supernaturally spooky, thrillery. Maybe because it was the UK distributor, they thought if we call it Lady in the Lake, people are going to turn up and wonder where King Arthur is. Um, mm, oh, yes. So yeah, yeah. It could be either of those. I, I have no idea if either of those reasons are true. Um, they might have just thought Lady in the Lake was a bit of bleak for a film, which, to be fair, is, is more of a challenge than a typical giallo, I would say. But is this a typical giallo? I mean, what, I mean, I suppose we should start no. with. <laughs> and fair enough. Um, why have you chosen this as the as the third film on our Odyssey? I suppose because it's an interesting example of what was going on around sixty four, sixty five, when the template for giallo hasn't really solidified. Uh, and even before you get to, obviously, Bird with Crystal Plumage in 1970, which kind of sets the template for pretty much everything that comes after. Uh, even at this point, you know, the, the, the sort of 
giallo mystery gaslighting thing that we kind of saw in Girl Who Knew Too Much doesn't really become nailed down for a couple more years. So yeah. at this point in sort of 64, 65, 66, there are kind of interesting and strange things going on. Um, where, you know, I, I don't know if even um, the concept of the Jallo is is really that well thought of or that well known by people making the movies. And so this is an interesting example of someone doing a basically a, a murder mystery, something that falls into the Jallo vein, but doing it in a very different way to what we typically now think of as the Jallo, which is very lurid and um, brightly coloured and all of those things. Yes, I mean it's just to show. So so far, it's uh, it's the second of the three films that we do that's that's in black and white, but it, mm. it's possibly our last, I think, as well. Um, it shares a lot of its um, uh, style with uh, gothic fiction, doesn't it? It involves a person coming um, into a situation, uh, essentially mourning a. a a dead lover are they dead what happened to them apparently suicide doesn't doesn't seem to feel right family family secrets stuff hidden big old house in this case a hotel in a holiday environment um but i was interested to read that presumably unlike most films that we'll be that we'll be covering this is based on a true story that's right, um, and there are actually there are a couple of other jelly that are based on real murder cases. Oh, okay, um, but it's certainly not the norm. Um, yeah, so the, there's much later on. So there's the Pajama Girl case in '78. That that sounds quite shallow. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is based on which is based on a real um, murder inquiry that uh, took place in Australia, and the, the only thing that the film lifts from the real case is that the police put the body of the victim on display to the public to try and get more information, uh, which is Blimey. a slightly bizarre uh, element. Um, and then there are, there are two films based on the same series of serial killings in Italy. So there's one called Monster of Florence and another one called The Killer is Still, Still Among Us. Um, and it's interesting that both of the films were actually made while the murders were still going on. Uh, so, oh my god so, so there's no real kind of resolution certainly in Monster of Florence which is the more serious and um, better of the two Killer is Still Among Us is quite trashy and, and a bit, a bit uh, unforgivable um, so so yeah that, but this one is, so this one is probably the most serious treatment of a real case um, though it's it, interestingly it's kind of at already at one remove because this is based on uh, the novel La Donna del Lago uh, which was uh, published a couple of years prior, and that's based on the real series of murders that happened uh, sort of three, four decades earlier, but in a small mountain town with a lake and, and uh, a hotel and, and all of that. So, yeah, a quick so a, a quick pricey of, of of what the film is. Uh, a seemingly successful writer appears to split up with his partner. Uh, and not really knowing what to do with himself and feeling uh, anyway, um, goes back to a holiday resort that he knows quite well, but out of season. Um, stays near uh, in a big hotel where he normally does uh, by the lake. Um, it appears 
his main motivation uh, for going would seem to be uh, to regain contact with uh, Tildy, who's uh, one of the maids there that he had strong feelings for and a relationship that we haven't quite uh, fully ascertained. But when he arrives there, uh, he learns that initially she's missing. Um, It's transpired that the story is that she's died by suicide. But then as he looks into it, he's told there's information that suggests it isn't quite as clear-cut as that, and there's suspected foul play. And the rest of the film is him trying to piece together what goes on or what happened to to Tilde. Okay, I... I'm going, to, I'm going to flip it around a little bit here. So I have okay. a couple of questions for you. Uh, in the English language version, because yeah. I think we, we both watched uh, the Italian and Italian um, subtitle version and the English dub. Yeah. In the English version, when he's leaving at the beginning, so the opening scene is is the writer uh, played by Peter Baldwin, American actor, um, breaking up with his partner we assume over the phone in the english version it really sounds like he's leaving to kill himself yeah that's it's sort of i'm going back to a to a safe place um which doesn't fit with anything that's seen within uh, i think the the italian version where he's just seen as uh he's seemingly a writer that's in uh, not in a good place uh wants to wants wants to be alone whether that's sort of uh a midlife crisis, <laughs> but it's nowhere near as um, despondent as the as the English language version mm. uh, seems to have it. And this uh, this the rest of what happens in the in the English language version, which has subtle differences, but in but noticeable uh, differences, seems mm. to give him um, motivation. Mm. Whereas in the Italian version. Um, he's confounded at each time he tries to work out what's what's going on. Indeed, by by the end, you you're really unsure what is just his um, suppositions or ideas, or and what is you know really what what's supposed to have happened. And I remember a couple of times being taken out of my really taken out of the drama. Right when real in in the English language, sorry, in the Italian version, in t- Italian language version. When you suddenly realise it's been a dream sequence, yeah, uh, but there's been no lead-in to it being a dream sequence, and mm. you're not entirely sure at what point you're supposed to realise we first entered the dream sequence. Yes, exactly. Um, but this is this is clearly deliberate. Now, in some ways, it ma- it makes for a very ethereal. And by the way, it's incredibly stylish, beautifully shot. Mm. It's very very evocative. But it's but it starts to get a little grating when you're thinking are the filmmakers or at least the writers having their cake and eating it by not really giving you enough um i I think the film gets away with it because it's uh, it's so stylish and it's so interesting and it keeps you guessing Mm. but the other big the other big difference between between the two versions is there's more a definitive resolution in the in the english language version Mm. um which I suspect says more about the UK distributors uh, wanting a more conventional, conventional ending, and that's easy to do with a when, when you're dubbing something. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, I don't think there's any. I didn't notice any um, 
different shots used from i know you said previously uh in in in, in other episodes that sometimes they use sequences uh, that they hadn't used in 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 the italian version i didn't notice any 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 different but the beauty of dubbing just means you can add in some adr very easily yes, of course. <laughs> sequence and it doesn't it doesn't sound any worse yeah. than it would do than it would do if you're looking at slightly um if you're looking at slightly bad lip sync, yeah. um, but I found fa- I found it interesting that almost the fact that you're you're twisted uh, and turned, and you get a some sense of, of what happened, and it, you look like you're knowing you know where this is going to go and who the killer is, and or the killer of the killer, which is I, I guess which I, I gather is uh, something that that Jello can do. Well, it's something I think we we saw it a little in in in. in and black lace when mm. the ki- it's not the, it's not as simple as saying the killer is one person particularly yeah. when the, the killer's motivations uh, come to right but here you're always slightly undermined by i'm not sure this happened either he's thinking it happened or he's dreaming um and he seems to leave at the and in the english language version at the end it has the sort of same sequence of him driving away that sort of complements him driving to uh, the, the 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 resort, but there's but there's a, there's a definitive sort of ending to the English version, and it sort of come it comes back round, and a man who was suicidal potentially has you know has has, has answers if, if nothing else. Mm. Uh, whereas the um, the sort of flat, um, you know, slightly damaged, slightly weakened, and almost almost antihero in that you, you that you're you're. You're never totally sure of uh, his motives in wanting to find out what happened to to, mm. to Tilda. More than it's just it just matters to him rather than a, a greater sense of a greater sense of wider justice. Uh, but he's sort of like by the time it ends, and you're thinking, oh, was that what I thought? Was that the killer, or was mm. or did he just? And you're sort of left, and you have to because one thing I'm I'm learning as we get to go through. Sometimes you just have to let shit go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's very much a let shit go kind yeah. of genre, and and I think it was that that would that sort of feeling at the end of the film, which may, which motivated the the UK distributors to say we need a more definite ending than that. Yeah, very possibly. Um, yeah, because one of the writers on this is uh, Giulio Questi, who um, didn't direct a lot of uh, well-known films, but the, but the most famous thing he did make or one of the, one of the couple of the most famous things he did make was a film called Death Laid an Egg which is a couple Good of years, a couple of years after this which is uh when you talk about having your cake and eating it um that's that's kind of his his thing i mean it's it's certainly classified often as a jello and i think justifiably because it has a lot of jello elements but it's also sci-fi excoriation of factory farming consumer society uh mechanization and genetic engineering so he's a fairly enigmatic writer when it comes to this kind of stuff um and and actually i think i mean he he's kind of said that i i you know what what appears on screen has been sort of fairly heavily rewritten from um from his version but i think yeah there is probably certainly elements particularly around the where does the dream begin and end uh which see which is very kind of familiar if you've seen death laid an egg where it's just kind of like was this whole thing a dream or <laughs> <laughs> yeah or they, they woke up and it was all a dream just yeah. seems a bit of a, a, a bit of a get out yeah. um now the director and there are two 
two directors of, 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 of this. Um, I didn't really know anything about them. This is both, this is their first feature, isn't it? Yes. So both, um, so it's Luigi Bazzoni and Franco Rossellini, who had both um, been in the biz a while in kind of second unit, sort of assistant director kind of positions. And they both worked with the producer on this before. Uh, so Manolo Bolognini was a fairly well-known producer um, and he'd produced Knights of Kiberia and would go on to produce Django a couple of years after this, which obviously was a huge international success. Oh, yeah, success. good. Yeah, that's um, and his brother Mauro Bolognini was a director and both Bozzoni and Franco Rossellini had worked on films that he'd done. Uh, and in fact, they'd worked. That he made a film called Agostino a couple of years before this that they'd both worked on, which I haven't seen, I have to admit which seems to be kind of the genesis point f for this movie. Uh, Franco Rossellini was from the Rossellini family. He was Roberto Rossellini's nephew. Um, and I think Bazzoni's uh, family were in the film biz as well. So, you know, it's all kind of fairly dynastic when they came to this. I don't, I don't think Franco Rossellini directed subsequently. Bazzoni didn't do a lot. I think he only made something like five films three of them are jelly he did one in the early 70s called the fifth chord with franco nero which is probably his most kind of conventional jello which is really very good and then he did a film a few years after that called footprints on the moon which oh yes that's quite notorious isn't it yeah that one is it, it actually borrows quite a lot of plot elements from this but if you imagine this but with um klaus kinski and astronauts oh my god that sounds fantastic <laughs> i thought that would appeal to you i have yes. it on the list for some time in the future i'd certainly oh good um but it's yeah that that one is pretty oblique uh, it has to be said but it's certainly uh it's certainly faci a fascinating ride uh, Jallo in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's quite an enigmatic bunch of filmmakers, really, which is probably why the the film that resulted is as interesting as it is. The other question I have for you, actually, is: Does him going to the off-season hotel remind you of Whistle and I'll Come to You? Uh, it reminds me a little of the 2010. Uh, yes, and, that's yes. what it is. Uh, the Neil Cross adaptation of Whistle I'll Come to You, which is very loosely based. The original story and the Jonathan Miller's 68 TV film um, both deal with someone who is going away during an academic break. Uh, it might not be the nicest area, but in, in the book, it's to do with them um, practicing on the links, playing playing golf. And in the other, it's... Uh, to to go bracing walking on the coast, Michael Horndon's you know scenes where he's where he, where he's walking on the Norfolk coastline, but in the Andy Diemini uh, directed Neil Cross written the guy the guy who did Luther ghost story from two thousand and ten where played John Hurt is getting away yes to uh, a a seaside haunt of him and his his wife used to go to his wife is now in is now in some, has severe dementia and is going into care and he takes a couple of days off to get her used to her idea so they like in possessed he returns to a familiar haunt that has fond memories uh so yes that did occur to me um well, but here, if you ever saw this yeah that's interesting if i i wrote a piece for for it on on horrified 
uh, and I'm going to have to go back and if ever get a chance shoehorn in the possessed <laughs> and like well of course this is clearly based on, on, on the possessed and anyone that says they didn't is just, is a philistine <laughs> I probably won't do that I'll just try and find a, if I ever if we ever manage to speak to Neil Cross about it but yeah it would be interesting to know if Neil Cross has ever has ever seen this film because the adaptation that adaptation of Whistle I'll Come to You is incredibly loose it's like a distillation of themes of M.R. Mm. James's tale rather than a rather than a straight ad- adaptation but yeah you're right the the out of um the out of season holiday holiday resort the fact that the holiday resort is significant to the past of our protagonist is common to both to both themes what about the cast um once again we have an american actor in uh, in in the main part is that a nod to international audiences or was he just was peter baldwin known for Italian films as well. Um, he certainly did. Uh, he certainly did quite a few films in Europe. I think around this time. I don't know specifically what his history uh, was like. I know that sort of later on he became more of like a sitcom guy. Um, but at this point, I think he probably was one of the guys who was uh, tooling around Europe and um, yeah. So he did quite a bit of TV, but then certainly he was kind of popping up in uh, European films in the sixties. Um, it seems to be there's like a little subset of actors who I think were quite happy um, going and having quite a nice time in Italy and getting paid to you know do a favorite right, film okay. over a couple of weeks. So um, when you say TV, you mean TV in the US and then yes, exactly, cinema, right? Um, and and films in uh, Europe, primarily Italy. It looks like he was in. Um, we, I think we mentioned it last time, The Ghost, which is uh, Ricardo Freda. Um, gothic horror with Barbara Steele which is sort of but not really a sequel to the horrible Dr. Hitchcock um, which is uh, which is terrific and later on uh, in fact actually his next film after this one although it's not from like another five years is um, a Jallo called The Weekend Murders which um, I think was sort of mostly uh, lingering in obscurity until I think Vinegar Syndrome put it out on Blu-ray not too long ago. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, Presumably it's that's of, quite true uh, to a lot a lot of these films, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not, and, and it's one that I have on the pile to watch. I haven't actually watched, but I don't think it has a particularly fine reputation. But uh, it's one I'll get around to one of these days. Um, <laughs> Talking of um, people, we or things, or uh, this we've discussed uh, before. Uh, we have our first repeat actor coming Absolutely. up. C- coming up again. Yes, it's um, Irma, the um, the wife of the the hotelier, uh, Valentina Cortese. Valentina uh, Cortese, yeah, from the yes, uh, yes, yes, the girl who knew too much. Yes, she's the um, the woman who lets her lets our heroine stay in her house, isn't she? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and spoilers ahead. Uh, in that film, ultimately turns out to be the murderer, and in this film. And... <laughs> ultimately turns out to be one of the murderers maybe, maybe possibly yeah. <laughs> at least or at least one of the murderers murderer um yes possibly yes yeah um but she's she's but once again her seemingly um friendly visage is uh, is is revealed to be something quite cuz something something quite sinister now i appreciate that not everyone is watching this a couple of days depending on the yes, recording schedule after they watch the girl who knew too much um but this is too early to be talking of sort of uh, a jalo rep although i'm assuming as we go into the 70s there will be uh, actors that will build their careers on 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 doing jalo 
Oh my goodness, yes, yeah. I mean, Cortese, I don't think, really falls into that group. But possibly even the next show that we've got coming up, uh, we will start to see some faces who we will then subsequently be looking at time and time again um, because they found very lucrative work (laughs) in the genre. I mean, um, uh, Valentina Cortese's... uh, I don't know if it was her next film, it was certainly around this time she was in um, Juliet of the Spirit, so... Um, she wasn't, you know, certainly kind of pigeonholed in the uh, Jello world. Was she the killer in that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and she does. She she turns up in a, a, a Jello in 1971 uh, called the Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, which uh, right. yeah, which is our mate Ricardo Freder again, um, which is not. Okay. One of the better examples of the seventies yellow. I I quite like it. it. It's it's enjoyably sort of trashy. Um, it, I guess it's mostly notable for the being the only yellow that I'm aware of that's set in Dublin. Um, but it's um, it's not one of the better ones. Uh, it's clearly pretty low budget, but it does feature um, Irish yellow. <laughs> and, We've got and, space yellow and, um, and Irish yellow. Yeah. And we do have, and we have some quite impressive accents in the English dubbing as well. Um, but yeah, it is. Oh so, God. so an actor who definitely will be seeing time and time again in the Jallo is is a guy called Luigi Pistilli, who's the uh, headliner in that movie, um, who does not look in the least Irish, despite the film trying to pass him pass him off as such. Um, but that's also got Anton Differing in it. So you know, if you're ever oh, in the game of uh, six degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon, and you have to get from Jello to Anton Differing, that's that's the movie for you. That that's that's is he is he playing a Nazi? Um, he's certainly playing some sort of German aristocrat, as I remember. I think he's well, at least, he's, at least he's not doing an Irish, an Irish accent. Um, no, he it, he just, is to, meant to be. I'm pretty sure he is meant to be German or Eastern European. It's been a while since I've seen it. How does it how does it rate on those other brilliant Irish horror films like Rawhead Rex? <laughs> I mean, it's not really. The thing I primarily remember about it is there's a scene that is supposed to be taking place in slow motion and either, whether it's an artistic choice or for budgetary reasons, they actually <laughs> shoot it at normal frame rate and everyone has to move really slowly. It can't be that difficult just to change the frame rate of the camera for one for one <laughs> sequence. Yeah, it's, it's, that one's a bit of an acquired taste. I don't think I've got that on the list, so you, you're fine. Okay, um... No, I want to go on a rant about Rawhead Rex, but I'm not. I'm not. Go- I'm not going to. This is. I'm just gonna save it for another into, podcast. It's brought us into, 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 into. Let's do an Irish horror podcast. Yes, we could, also, we could also do. Yeah, we'll do it without fear. That's sort of as well. Anyway, um, other noted uh, people that are in this is, uh, well, not that she's a particularly noted actor in her own right, but uh, Pia Leedstrom. Yes, um, who's uh, Ingrid Bergman's daughter, um, and best known now as a. TV reporter or newsreader, isn't she? Yes, I guess. This is slightly random. Playing um, the doomed Adriana. Yes, I'm. I'm curious actually. I don't know whether her kind of casting is through the the Rossellini family connection, um, mm, okay. because Roberto Rossellini had had an affair with uh, Bergman while she was married to Pier, uh, Peter Lindstrom, who was Peter Lindstrom's dad. So um, I don't know if they were sort ah, okay. of on kind of close terms or not but certainly it's, it's interesting both of them turning up um, in the same uh, working on the same film 
Um, yeah, so you have her, and then you have uh, Verna Lisi playing Tildy in flashback, the, the maid who has disappeared, um, and there's interesting plot machinations around the fact that Tildy and Adriana, Pia Lindstrom's character, are quite similar looking, even though they are distinct. Well, I say distinct characters, and neither of them really have much of a character, but... Um, but that's sort of the point, isn't it? With, with it's, it, with, it yes. It, it's within what the mind re- of the protagonist, Bernard. Sure, yeah. It, it's what Bernard uh, even the, uh, projects onto, onto 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 these people that mm-hmm. he wants he wants to make them, which leads to one of where you think we're getting an intriguing, which is a, a, a nice sequence where, although he's never met Adriana, that's the um, she's the daughter-in-law, isn't she, of the of the, of the hotel owners? Yes. Um, she like seems distressed, and she sees him at the window, and she throws a note down to the ground. Uh, which he can then can't find, and then before too long she's found dead, mm. and it becomes it then. So what's ever happened to um, Tildy is not not quite by the by, but certainly um, Ad, Adriana's death is far more immediate, and something's clearly clearly wrong. And then he can he can make that make make that make that that the focus. But yes, the women mm. at least or at least the the younger women in this in, in this film are very much uh, things to, for Bernard to project um, either his angst or his frustrations or his longing or any any negative emotion that he might want to do mm. that becomes becomes about which is in some ways interesting in some ways intensely frustrating but then that depends on how on how you approach the film i think and if you just learn to live with possibly dreams within a dream um mm. and just sort of go just sort of go with the flow there is there is much to enjoy you as i say you have to you you have to let it go you have to let it wash over you but mm. there is so much so much to enjoy and in terms of style it is a it is a, a very stylish um the the photographer uh What's his, is it Francesco? Ah, Francesco, yes. Piero Ancisi uh, is the actor. Now, interestingly, he's... I don't know if this is uh, the actor or a, um, a, a, a prosthetics, but he has a slight hunch. Um, mm. and yeah, I, believe, I, want, I, think, I think it's just for the movie. Right. Um, is, is a sort of physical deformity, which you, you as a viewer might have views or even subconscious prejudices about something that's that can be seen in other shallows because it seems mm. there's no real there's no real need for it but it's something that makes his character uh through the worst kind of sort of prejudices but then this is this is this is the mid 60s seem somehow other even though he's ostensibly friendly with bernard but there seems to be sort of dark undercurrents but is that uh, is that just a, yeah yeah i think it, i think it pops up occasionally i, I generally i think stuff like that tends to be um they like to throw those in as red herrings and interestingly one of the writers on this uncredited was someone we have discussed before and will discuss innumerable times again i'm sure ernesto gastaldi um who wrote all of the jelly pretty much right okay (laughs) in one form or other and so yeah i think you know there's definitely a trope where someone with a some sort of deformity or strange physicality or quite often completely unacceptable gay stereotype is kind of thrown in as well they must be the killer because look at them um then this is 60s or 70s italy so yes absolutely absolutely (laughs) uh yes we 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 haven't got there yet but we will be coming up on some 
pretty horrendous gender stereotyping. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But the photographer character is really interesting because he's... I mean, one of the elements of the film that really stood out for me is that when... Bernard gets to town and he's clearly well known as a writer because mm. there are various people within the village who kind of want to have lunch with him and want to talk to him about his books and you know ask him what he's working on and the photographer is one of those uh, and then when the mystery starts to become apparent that maybe something happened to Tildy and what were the reasons and the photographer has a fairly major clue um, in that he photographed her and when he examined the photo closely it suggests that maybe she was pregnant um, but there's the there's a conversation in that scene between Bernard and Francesco Francesco yeah yeah where he he said he asks he asks uh, Bernard you know Oh, you you came back to the town f for her, but the way he says it is, he's got this sort of really kind of prurient delight that you know to him this is sort of interesting in a in a slightly unpleasant voyeuristic sense that he's not actually that bothered about what happened to her. He's just you know curious to see um, you know what what the underlying cause was and also the the kind of psychological effect it's having on Bernard, which is interesting because he's a photographer, so by his nature he is kind of voyeuristic. Yeah, and that sequence in in particular, as I I think I texted you at the, or even mentioned to you straight after I, I watched it, we, where he you know he blows the picture up on a projector and, and then talks through the detail of her impregnant. It brought to mind uh, blow up. Yeah, is there no way, given that you know Antonini? Um, the blow-up could be considered a shallow. Ooh, it's pretty tangential. It's not something that tends to be on... When people make lists of jelly, mm. it's not one that tends to be in there. Because stylistically, it's quite different. But so is this. I suppose because the murder in blow-up is so categorically not the point of the movie... It's almost an anti-Jallo in some ways. That said, it definitely had an impact on subsequent Jally, which I think we touched on last time and we will definitely touch on more when we get to the crazy colourful 60s ones. So yeah, you probably you, you probably could have a fairly good go at, at, at suggesting it was, to be honest. Certainly films that had influenced really heavily something like... Um, Tinto Brass is deadly sweet, which is kind of a jello, but yeah, there's definitely. I mean, if it's not a jello, there's definitely a through line. Mm. And well, we're still. I suppose we're still in a a period where jello does not does not yet have a consistent no exactly uh, format in terms it, of it. It almost it, it kind of only really exists in the minds of of people like us looking back and saying, well, obviously, Barva was the first and the second and. You know, but but actually, there's not really. I don't think there's really um, that kind of something that you could really call a movement yet. And I don't suppose it ever really was a movement, apart and you know, because it was mostly about kind of boobs and stabbing. You know, that's not really an artistic <laughs> movement in the same way. You know, well, as, I mean, neorealism. No, no, no. no Appreciated. There's two things with that. I think. I mean, nothing comes out of nothing, um, and that's why I was interested to 
obviously with these with the list you prepared there will always be reasons for them and we can't do every film because it would just it would just take too long and we'd end up saying too many the same things but i'm interested particularly in this early stage of you know what other films are around what's influencing Mm. The, the makers of the films that the, the, the we're seeing. And when I saw that sequence, I thought, oh, it's, this is check when, you know, um, what's, what's, you know, what's Anthony, what's Anthony doing at this time? You know, um, mm. again, it could, uh, an, an Italian director working with, you know, um, an, an, an Anglophonic actor. Who knows will we, if we'll ever see David Hemmings in a, in a, in a film that we cover later on. Yeah. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? That would be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know I'm a total heathen because for decades I only thought of David Hemmings as the baddie from the pilot episode of Airwolf, so... That's that's disgusting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's disgusting. I mean, is it the case that Jali is always a bit of something where the, it's sort of retrofitted and sort of after... I mean, the idea of writing a, a canon of what counts as, as, Jali, as, 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 as a Jali film is important to people that it is important to um but for the majority of people it's an italian film with murder maybe some some supernatural element oh it's weird it's 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 like that rather than i can classify this as a as 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 as, as, as yellow that's probably very true because yeah. as, as much as there are definitely films which are really very formulaic uh, certainly in the 70s and into the 80s um, there are just as many probably where you can say, well, this is this is one of the police jellos and or this is, you know, this is one of the um, I'm trying to think of another example where it's sort of a, a, a subset. Um, it's, this is one of the jello fantasticos because it has supernatural elements. And it's like, well, then is it really a jello? And basically, I mean, there is an entire publishing industry and a very lucrative Blu-ray industry based on people arguing about that very fact. <laughs> but is then the case that you know if you think of Jalo, you think of Argento, and therefore everyone thinks that every film Argento makes is a Jalo. That's probably also very true because he did. I mean, most actually the the vast majority of his his films that he directed probably are Jelly. Certainly because in the latter part of his career, he didn't really seem to get much funding for anything else, and when he did, it was Mother of Tears, and we just try not to talk about that. Uh, he came back to the Jello seemingly when he tried something else and it hadn't gone great. So you kind of see a few examples of that in his career, where he'd sort of, you know, his first film as a director is, you know, almost the Jello, <laughs> mm. um, and you know, then he makes a couple more. Then he tries something else, doesn't go great. He makes another Jello. Then he makes a couple of supernatural horrors they start to flounder a bit so then he comes back to the jello again and it seems to be kind of a pattern that he does keep coming back to it how much of of your time then do you spend saying no um Suspiria isn't a jello well me quite a lot but mm. you know it doesn't really matter ultimately is that often i mean is that generally counted in jello lists and you suck your teeth no or? it isn't um okay. but it is there there are um there are certainly people that consider it such and I can, I mean, I can actually kind of see where it's where they're coming from because it does feature, you know, young women being graphically killed. Um, it's just that they're being killed by a supernatural force rather than someone in a raincoat with a stabby thing. 
So I think you mentioned at the start that the possessed did not do well. Um, Correct. It, it was it not critically as well as commercially. It got fairly critically roasted. Right. Um, it came out at the '65 Locarno Festival, and most of the reviews were unkind. Uh, I have I pulled a quote from one which said it was an a- amateurish and overambitious work, and actually called it a third-rate jallo, though I suspect that whoever's translated the original article is being sort of um, slightly cute. wise after the event. Yeah, slightly right. cute there, by because you know realistically that would if you were translating that directly it would probably say a third rate mystery but you know they've kept they've, they've left it as a third rate jallo um because now that's what we think of as you know that's what we think it is um mm. i think amateurish and over ambitious is pretty harsh yes to be fair, it is it's because yeah. it's uh, a superbly made film it is it's it's good it's gorgeous looking it's incredibly stylish it's unbelievably atmospheric yeah um it's one that, it's, it's the most melancholy thing within the shallow space that I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it's, it's it, relentlessly downbeat. It's it has a huge amount in common with Gothic, I think. It's um, oh. both in its tone and its and it and it and its content. Um and it you wouldn't think it was as stylish and as interesting as it is if it was in colour. It's one of those things that, no. should, that looks made made for black and white. Yeah, um, I mean, and it, it's really stark black and white as well. You yeah, know, if you compare yeah. this to um, the girl who knew too much, which obviously is monochrome, mm. but it's a much more lush, kind of beautiful monochrome. Not to say this isn't beautiful, but this is so it's all, grim, all, almost posterized. The the, the yeah. sheer amount of kind of you know the, the contrast in the image is extraordinary, and it's trying to to, to make the the both the the lake and the um, the surrounding wood where um, Tilde's father lives, lives lives in the shack. It's trying to make those really sort of eerie other spaces, mm. uh, and the um, the the graveyard sequence, for, for for example, is really on the nose as a you know as a, as a gothic as, as a gothic yes. trope. Yeah, I mean that's um, that that almost seems like it's been pulled from you know one of the one of the Italian knockoffs of a Hammer film. Um, yeah, because it's it's, yeah. it's borderline over the top, but it, then it does actually look uh, like an extant piece of geography. It doesn't appear to be a a set or a you know something they've set up, because this all looks apart from probably the hotel interiors. This all looks um, like existing locations. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I don't think there's any. Yeah, I don't think the the um, the graveyard scenes. Well, obviously, the tombstone of Tilda is a is a prop. Mm. I actually don't know what the what the the rules are on filming in a, a graveyard. If you need permission, if your relatives' graves appear, oh. or if, whether you. I mean, in this at least, it's quite tastefully done. I suppose there isn't a flesh eating zombie appearing around the around my whole graveyards trying to yeah trying. Yeah, Bernard. and sort of an um, Italian film of the sixties. If there were rules, they were probably just like, well, we just hope no one notices. Yeah, which is which is which is which is, which is fair enough. But it's interesting to say, yeah, amateur. It, I did not. I did not see it. No. Do you think? I mean, regardless of what we've said about the differing tastes um, for 
uh, ambiguity and over-resolution, whether the critics or the, the audience, as well as if, if, if it wasn't commercially commercially successful, were annoyed by the by the ambiguity and didn't didn't care for the, the stylish trapping. It's hard to say. I, I think in Italy, this went out from with a pretty small, um, under a pretty small distributor, so I don't think it was even widely seen. So I think it was potentially a little hamstrung before it even got out there. Right, okay. Um, right. And I think it's probably remained relatively obscure um, until it's had a couple of more prominent releases recently and I think potentially a lot of that is on the back of the fact that Bazzoni made other films that are that are highly regarded um, particularly The Fifth Chord so right, okay. I, I don't know that, that um, it actually had I, I mean I could be entirely wrong but I don't know that it actually had a lot of uh, people um, either disparaging it or singing its praises back when it was originally released um, which is a shame because it really is tremendous. Yes, it's it's highly, highly, highly enjoyable. It's something that you can watch again and again, which I'm not sure will be true of of, of all the others. Uh, and you know, it, oh, believe but, me, I have. Oh, I'm sure. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you have. But that's where you are. Where, why you are where you are, and I'm, I'm the one asking the questions, and you're largely the one that's answering them. Um, I'm just. It's interesting in this early stage. I've seen one so far that reminded me of noir, and I've seen uh, and I've seen a third one that's reminded me of gothic. Um, and yet, in the middle of those two sits blood and black lace, which is sort of everything I imagined a giallo would be. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. It's still in these in these uh, in these early days where we're just finding what um, what works and what doesn't. But retrospectively, understanding why these are why the why these are part these are part of the canon. The other specific shot that I really really liked is the moment when Bernard discovers uh, Mario, the son, basically having uh, at that point. I forget what he's he's killed has he killed like he discovers him in the in the meatpacking warehouse and there's this extraordinary push in shot of him basically confessing uh and as the camera moves in he starts off the, the lighting on him is is so oh, kind yeah, of stark yeah. that you can't really see his face so it's it begins with this very sinister presence and then as it gets closer to him and his features resolve you realize that he's actually completely distraught and it's just the most extraordinary yeah, shot. Yeah, I know you meant, yeah. Um, yeah that I can't believe someone said that it was amateurish. <laughs> yeah, this is also another one you can add to the ineffectual police. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do they even show up? Do they show up at any point? They, I think they must yeah, show up briefly. He, he, is like a siren at the end? No, he's interviewed a couple of times. Oh, no, you're uh, right, he is, yes, of course. He's, he's, and yes, identified Adriana's body. And at mm. the end, he sort of, they, they get something just to have sort of a, an epilogue, or, mm. um, but he doesn't. Even though he's investigating the murder, he doesn't positively impact the plot in any way. No, it's he's just there to so, so people don't go. Well, where are the police then? Yeah, That's... yeah. I mean that that if that more than anything else probably makes it a jello. <laughs> Will we encounter either of these directors again on our on our journey? Franco Rossellini, I, as I said, I don't think he ever directed anything else. Um, oh, I may be wrong. Bazzoni, I think I've actually got all three of his jelly down on the list because oh, good. In their all way, in their own way, they're all great. The, the fifth chord is absolutely 
fantastic. And uh, Footprints on the Moon oh, you said yes, completely baffling. But in a good that way. Can't, that can't be the only one that's completely baffling. At the I mean, this is pretty full-on baffling. This is about as as oblique as, as a Jello gets, really. Um, and there, I mean, there are some where you are kind of scratching your head. I mean, a, lo- a lot of the time when you're watching uh, some of them and you kind of come away thinking, I'm not entirely sure what just happened... Um, in many cases, that can be through ineptitude rather than any authorial intent, whereas Footprints on the Moon is definitely the filmmakers uh, trying to do, I think, something that's just <laughs> completely head-scratching. Um, and it works. Um, but yeah, we, we will be coming to that one at some point. When did you first see it? Do you remember your... Footprints you, on the Moon? You, uh, no, no, sorry, uh, The Possessed. The Possessed. <laughs> well, okay, so... When I got a hold of the German Blu-ray of Footprints on the Moon, which the distributor very kindly had uh, an English language track uh, on that disc, they included a Blu-ray of The Possessed as an extra, but that was not English-friendly. So I spent quite a long time attempting to assemble a translation of the German subtitles uh, into something coherent that I could then burn back onto a disc so I could actually watch the thing. Um, so you had Italian language with German subtitles? Yes, correct. Right. Uh, which is something I've done a few times, actually, with some of these more. Wow. Um, because up in, you know, now, now we live in this crazy world where you know, the vast majority of things are available in English-friendly versions. There are still a few fairly major uh, omissions, but uh, at that point, yeah, I, I had never even heard of it until I actually got hold of that, that Blu-ray um, and was kind of watching it just in Italian, thinking I need to know what they're saying because this is amazing. Uh, and it's a, it's a very odd way to kind of start watching a movie because you're kind of seeing the, the dialogue play out without really being able to relate it to the image while you're translating mm. it. That's actually the first the, the way I first saw um, All the Colours of the Dark as well <laughs> because I had I had the German Blu-ray of that that didn't have any English on it. So Good God, imagine trying to translate that. That was a headache, one, yes. Anyway, yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a headache to watch as we, as we, will, as we will come to shortly, but my <laughs> God, that's a... That's one as well. I, I saw a trailer, I think, when the Arrow um, Blu-ray, Blu-ray came out and just thought, this looks amazing. Um, and wasn't disappointed. And I, I rewatched it in preparation for this and enjoyed it even more the second time round uh, because I could just sort of let go of the ending a bit easier and just say, let it wash over you. Uh, and if it's authorial intent as opposed to incompetence or bad editing, I can let the... I mean, we can, we can narrow the killer down to a family. <laughs> you can... It's you know, one of... It's sort of one of these three, probably. Um if he's not in it too much. And, you know, that's, you don't get the neat, neat solutions of life. And I don't think necessarily looking at Bernard's demeanour, looking at the the film's tone, whether having um, a slightly unsatisfactory, not quite resolution isn't isn't in keeping with, with the piece entirely. Yeah. I mean, I think, to be honest, I think it's reasonably straightforward but then I have watched a lot of these so <laughs> there's a point where it's kind of like I think I know who did it is normally enough uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Salvo Randoni who plays the the hotel owner who, oh, yeah, who seems yes, yes. to be uh, the the mastermind behind all of all of what's going on 
well, Mastermind is probably overstating it because I guess it's primarily a reaction to what's happening rather than, uh, you know, he, he has an evil scheme that he is trying to fulfill. Mm. Um, but, uh, and also, and uh, Philippe Leroy as Mario, his, his son, who uh, stands to inherit his meatpacking plant. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing that, you know, obviously this guy is well-to-do in the town, but a hotel and a meatpacking plant, and the hotel overlooks the, the sort of slaughter yard, is an interesting, slightly it, it, odd... <laughs> it is. Isn't it? Isn't it a butcher in the Italian version and a meatpacking plant in the English language version? They do refer to it as a butcher yeah. in, in the Italian version, but yeah. then... When you when you look at the because it it is basically a big warehouse with carcasses we, in it so it does it, it seem is, yeah, more yeah. I I wonder if something is a a little mistranslated in the subtitles there that that it is or or potentially it's both that uh, they have you know the the means of and, distribution and the means of production at the same time and it would not be the last film to use uh, a carcass filled meat production plant as an atmospheric uh, setting for a film's conclusion. Absolutely, you are referring to Predator Two, of course. I was, I, I was exactly going to refer to to Predator Predator Two. Yes, yes, <laughs> and then, as well. I thought about going through a couple of at least in gangster ones, and then I thought, no, I do, I do, I do, I do the setup for Predator Two. You're talking to the uses. wrong guy. Which I know because that's what I thought. Yeah, perfect. We've gone to Predator Two already. <laughs> there is, that's... there is literally nowhere else to go. Poor. F- Poor uh, Luigi Bazzoni is... Yes, um, indeed. We're talking about to that. So this did not deserve e- that. This is even worse than when I on Birdcast when we were doing the Beast episode and then it got in, and it got into a three-way discussion about Hellraiser. Um, but then that's just <laughs> probably enough. But I, I love particularly um, his wife's um, almost... When she asked him to leave about the... After Adriana's death, the sort of the shame that we brought, that we brought on the family and the power of reputation... Uh, in in small towns that matters if if, you, if your business or you as a as a family are, go, are going to survive, which you know is part of the the sort of the resolution of the the understanding the motivations for for, for the killing of Tilda. You know, that mm. We find that the 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 father, the husband, and his son uh, were both having affairs with Tilda. There might be there might be a suggestion she was she was underage. I don't know that, that was whether that plays out, but it doesn't or or was at some point this was going on yeah. but yeah the sort of the the idea of someone being killed for for reputations to be to be to be saved yeah but, and there's, there's that one extraordinary sequence where uh within really within bernard's mind he's seeing uh tilde having uh romantic relations shall we say with with both of them kind of intercut, so not yeah. at the same time, but it's it's. And he uh, clearly hasn't seen that. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no. Because there is a moment when he does appear to be spying on somebody. Yeah. Uh, and and pre- is that meant to be him? And presume. Well, I I assume it's meant to be Adriana and Mario, I guess. But it's it's never really made clear, and it's I think early on he sees Adriana and thinks that she is Tildy. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. Until it becomes clear that that they are just people who look very similar and clearly uh, both Mario and uh, Enrico the hotel owner have a type yeah when he when you first see that and I was thinking of well who's who's he looking at now realizing it's must be a dream sequence or at least an imagination an imagination sequence mm. but then you know when that intercuts with both uh, Mario and and his father um, having relations and essentially Bernard is outside cry wanking <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then it's true, actually. You, you, it isn't clear when he he first 
spies on someone yeah. whether he isn't just flashing back to to his uh relationship with his previous relationship with Tildy but then yeah. it's also kind of implied that he didn't really necessarily have a relationship no, with Tildy I, I, it's I, all in his mind I took from it he didn't he just really really liked her yes, and exactly. want, want, and wanted to go back and 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 see her again because yeah I I I Nothing you see definitely says that they did. Yeah. No one else mention mentions it. I get the impression that there was there was there wasn't a relationship there. They just got on well, and he wants he needs to feel good mm. after, or needs to needs her to help him feel better mm. with whatever he's going through in a way that the person he was seeing at the beginning of the film doesn't. Yeah, and it does have that very. Um, I guess this is probably kind of a, more of a noirish element, but he's he's going back to find the girl who he's um, has an unrealistic expectation of, and then it transpires that actually maybe Tildy was sleeping with both the father and the son for her own ends, as opposed to just being a victim. Although ultimately she is the one who is victimised. Well, there's possibly the suggestion that she does it for advancement doesn't she yes exactly there's the impression that she's doing that to advance her own cause as um, mm. is often the case that's necessary for women in less enlightened well, what am i saying less enlightened times i'm thinking happens, <laughs> happens even now but the idea being that you know she will betray them because clearly she's duplicitous mm. um, but they're but they're um up to their nextness as well even though they know what they're doing what they're doing between them but they know that's that's not that's not sustainable. Um, hmm. um, there's there's also something years. interesting, I think, because it's really only Francesco, the photographer. It's it's really only his word that Tildy was actually murdered. Yeah, you know, he kind of puts that idea in Bernard's head, but there isn't really any evidence that points to that. Although I guess ultimately, several people confessed to doing bad things, so. Uh, it may be the case that yes, she probably was killed uh, by by one of the others, or was well, even driven if, to even suicide. If, yeah, by exactly. One of the she, others. Even if she wasn't, she was she was driven to suicide. Which is oh. um, Ag- Agatha Christie was good at moralising that someone driven to suicide is as good as murdered oh. by, by 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 someone. So yeah, even even if she didn't do it as well, yeah. they are they are highly guilty of of that woman's death. Yeah, absolutely. I love the sound in this as well. It's one of those films with really effective, quite kind of sparse is, use yeah. of sound. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's haunting mm. and atmospheric. It's oh, it's and like when the scene where uh, Francesco and Bernard are on the on the lake and you have that light looking down them as well. Uh, you know, I wasn't even sure when watching it if it was um, day or, meant to be day, meant to be day or night. Uh, but that combined with the sound of the of the of the of the of the water of the water lapping. I mean, there's lots of night shoots in it, isn't there? By by the water, and he sees uh, yes. Adriana, who he thinks might be might be Tilda, um, at the beginning to chase after, and then you know you spy illicit lovers because this is also a highly conservative society. So being out at night is often a place where you can get a little private time, mm. uh, as, as as it were. And these it's it's a world of hidden secrets, small towns. Um, it's oh, it's beautiful. It really, mm. really, really is beautiful. And the idea that you know. There's a town under the lake, which is a, which is just obviously a, a visual motif and a metaphor for hidden depths to to, yep. th- to, to things. But it um, it, work, 
it works. It works incredibly well. And I think there's, is there not a line, um, the mountains kill you or something? It's, yes. Uh, I forget what it is exactly, but yeah, it, yeah something like that. Yeah. yeah. But whatever happens, you're, this is, this is a way of life you, you, you often, you can't get away from, you know, and, and things like, I imagine sort of the, uh, the, the north of the the, the Italian Alps, um, uh, remote f- from not just Italy, but you know, pretty much pretty much everywhere, there are places where people mm. where people get away. But if you live there and you work there, your your reputation and the life you live are all intertwined with someone and are, are, are fundamental. And these you see this this challenged and what will happen with people? Uh, will people will try and will, will will try and defend that? It's it's a really good film. It's mm. a really good film. Doesn't always make sense, and ultimately that doesn't matter. Yes, yes, and ultimately we end up with several ladies in the lake. We do end up with several ladies in the lake. Yes, it's misleading if it's not said. It should it should be more like the uh, the Italian title for blood and back lace. Six yes. ladies for the lake. Yeah, three women for the lake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next episode, um, we're looking ahead to the sweet body of Deborah. Now. When I looked at the Italian title for this, and I understand the the title would seem to be the same in Italian and English, except it's the word corpse mm. in Italian. Is that right? Correct. So, but it's not the sweet corpse of Deborah. Um, is the because bo- because the sweet body of Deborah has has two meanings. Many meanings. The, yes. The, the, yes. But presume. But interestingly, not in Italian. Um, it's just the slightly necrophilic version they're going, <laughs> they're, 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 yeah. they're going for. Actually, I don't know what the direct translation of corpo is because it's the, the the nature of language. It may be that corpo actually just means body, uh, in which case, um, in the form of Carol Baker, we'll be seeing quite a lot of the sweet body of Deborah. It would be, I suppose. I mean, actually, what yeah, corpus in La- corpus in Latin is body. So yes, maybe it is just. But we'll we'll do- we'll do- we'll double check that as well. Obviously, um, we wouldn't want the Ameri- we wouldn't want the Italians to be problematic in these films. <laughs> It also contains some amazing, amazing fashion, doesn't it? Oh boy, yeah, we are definitely leaving the world of the exquisite monochrome jello behind, <laughs> and we are diving headfirst and full length into some eye-watering lime green uh, fashion choices. Uh, and I can't wait because I love that film. <laughs> it's also the only film I think I've seen that with a certainly the only thriller I've I've seen with a musical twister sequence. Yes, i.e. I, the game Twister. I, I can't I can't think of another one off the top that's, of my head. That, that's not that's not in Predator Two, is it? No, no. Shame. But really, after Sweet Body of Deborah, where else was there to go? That's true. That's true. It has, it has its ultimate appearance, but that's for next time. <laughs> more on this film and Jally in general, check out our show notes. Our sources much more accurately describe Valentina Cortese's character Irma as the hotel owner's daughter, not his wife like we did throughout the podcast. Oops. Next time, we'll strive for more accuracy, such as confirming that corpo is just the Italian word for body, when the 60s call to ask for the psychedelic freakout back in the sweet body of Deborah. Please join us, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 